All right. Thanks for coming. We are getting heartier by the winter day, so well done you. A couple of announcements. First of all, I want to draw your attention to something that Student Senate is promoting. It's these little cards. They say, yes, you can sit with me. And if you go into the dining hall and you see one, you can take one and set it at your table uh, so that if there's somebody else who doesn't have a place to sit, they can come and sit with you. All right? So it's a way to build community. It's a way to use all of the chairs around the table, at a, right, instead of just two people and an eight-person table. It's like, hey, let's actually use all the space. So uh, grab one of these cards, use it, welcome people in, and if you see a card, take the initiative and go sit with somebody. So yes, you can sit with me. Green, easy to spot. And then Pastor Matt has some announcements. Daniel, if you'll turn that on, please. Thank you. Yeah, um, so I want to, a little hot. So I wanted to draw your attention to uh, an opportunity, a leadership opportunity uh, in the dorms specifically. Should I not be using this microphone? There we go. Perfect. Um, so I lead something called the Barnabas Program, uh, and this is a, a ministry leadership program uh, designed for in the dorms. Um, so if you're a first-year student and you're planning to be in the dorms next year, uh, we'd love to have you apply for something like this. We lead Bible studies uh, on every floor in every dorm, uh, and we also lead a midweek worship that ha- happens on Wednesday nights, which is dorm worship. So if you've been around, you've probably seen some of those things. If you want to be involved, uh, there's still opportunity to apply. The deadline for applying is March 3rd. Three, um, so please do apply uh, by then, and then we can get you uh, through the interview process, uh, and then we can think about what it means to be a leader for next year. Um, the other leadership thing that we have is uh, something called discipleship assistant, uh, and this is something where it's again working with the Barnabas program. Um, but these are typically juniors and seniors uh, who are. Uh, wanting to do more with mentoring the Barnabas program, uh, mentoring within the Barnabas program. So uh, discipleship assistants mentor uh, the Barnabas students, and they get to, to be mentored by myself and get to do a team meeting kind of stuff. But it's a lot of uh, leadership development and uh, tra- leadership opportunities. So I, I wanted to mention that as well, um, and those applications are due March 18, uh, just so you're aware. Um, if you have any other questions, feel free to email me. It's just pastormat at calvin.edu. Uh, or come find me in my office. Uh, my office is right next to Pastor Mary's. And right next to Student Senate's, I'm right in between there. So come find me. Uh, even if you just need a cup of coffee, I'm happy to sit down and talk with you about what it might mean for you to, to be part of the Barnabas program or be a discipleship assistant. Applications are online. Um, if you'd like to be a discipleship assistant, uh, just send me an email. Uh, I haven't published the, the thing, anything online for discipleship assistant yet. Um, but all of the Barnabas stuff is available online at uh, calvin.edu slash go dash CLC. Um, I think it's a dash CLC. Go dash CLC? Go slash CLC? I think yes, nodding. Um, so that's... Um, I have little cards as well. I forgot to bring one tonight, but uh, I have a lot of little cards that if you're interested, come swing by or talk to the Barnabas that's on your floor. Excellent. Great. Thanks, Matt. Great. Um, Just looking ahead, we are in the uh, moving into the season of Lent. This will be next week, 
Wednesday, not this coming Wednesday, but next week, Wednesday, March 6th, is Ash Wednesday. We have an Ash Wednesday service here at 10 o'clock during chapel uh, with the imposition of ashes. You don't have to have the imposition of ashes if you come. If you just want to come and see what that's all about, you can do that. So just looking ahead, we're getting ready to enter into the season of Lent. And then uh, we're going to take our offering now for the Community Care Fund. And I just want you to know that I regularly get um, inquiries from students who say, I'm in this situation, Um, I'm in over my head, I don't know what to do, medical bills, like, help. And I'm so glad that I can confidently say, yes, you know, turn in your receipts, we'll help you, we'll see what we can do. And that's the difference that you're making. You are relieving anxieties for your fellow students. And so every little dollar you give makes a difference. So thank you for your faithful giving. Let's give now. Let's continue in worship uh, by praying together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you this evening confessing our need for you, our triune God, our, our maker, our redeemer, our sustainer. Lord, you know us. You know us completely. You know everything about our lives before us and and after us, you know our every thought, and you still love us, which is wonderful. Lord, we thank you for the way that you love us unconditionally, but the way that you call us to righteousness, call us to, to live a life set apart, call us to live like your Son. Lord, help us in that. Give us strength and courage to be able to do that. Give us wisdom in times of need, in in difficulty. Lord, you know our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups. 
Lord, help us to, to see them for what they are, to be able to name them, to be able to bring them to you, to be able to bring them to our community and invite other people to help us pray about them. Lord, we thank you for this community. We thank you for Calvin College. We thank you for the way that we can come here and learn and know more about who you are and grow in community and grow in love for each other. Lord, we thank you for this place. We thank you for dorm communities. We thank you for, uh, for things like Project Neighborhood and uh, Knollcrest East. We thank you for housemates and apartment mates and floor mates. We pray a special blessing over uh, two Project Neighborhood houses this evening, the, the Harambe House and the Koinonia House. We thank you for the people who live there, the mentors who, who occupy that space and the communities that they're connected with. We pray that they are able to connect well with their communities, that they're able to, to live well into their neighborhoods. Lord, we pray for the people in this community that are hurting, that are experiencing loss and lament. Lord, bring comfort to them. For those dealing with bad news, come close to them. And Lord, for those who are celebrating and for those who, who have joy that's welling up, Lord, we thank you for them and we, and we celebrate with them. Lord, in this evening, sustain us and, and grant us faith. Protect us from the adversary that, that wants to tempt us, that wants to, to deceive us and destroy us. And Lord, put a new song in our mouth that we might sing your praise because you are the God of yesterday and today and tomorrow. Lord, help us to love you and follow after you more, more and more every day. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we love you. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. So we are continuing our series looking at the seven deadly sins. And tonight uh, we're looking at lust. I'm guessing that most of you are familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba. David was the king of Israel. He sent his army off to war. He's up in the balcony. He looks down. He sees a woman bathing. And despite the fact that he already has six wives, he wants her. So he sends for her. They bring her. They have sex. He sends her away. She sends him a little note. I'm pregnant. He sends for her husband to come back from the battle that he, King David, did not go to in hopes that while he's on furlough, he will sleep with his wife and cover up the fact that the king has impregnated his wife. But Uriah, the husband, doesn't play along. And so instead, King David sets him up and has him killed. It's a horrible story. It's a dark story. And the child that's conceived by David and Bathsheba, that child dies. 
But the story keeps going, and it gets a bit darker. And we're going to look at what happens to the next generation. 2 Samuel 13. This is page 250 in the black books in the pews around you. 2 Samuel 13. This is a dark story. It's a violent story. So listen. Some time passed. David's son, Absalom, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And David's son, Amnon, fell in love with her. Half-sister, half-brother. Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of David's brother Shemaiah. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. He said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister come and give me something to eat and prepare the food in my sight so that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see Amnon, Amnon said to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight so that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down. She took dough, kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. That she took the pan and set them out before him, but he refused to eat. Amnon said, send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber so that I may eat from your hand. So Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. Well, when she brought them near to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother, do not force me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do anything so vile. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the scoundrels in Israel. Now, therefore, I beg you, speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. Then Amnon was seized with a very great loathing for her, Indeed, his loathing was even greater than the lust he had felt for her. Amnon said to her, get out. But she said to him, no, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other wrong that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for this is how the virgin daughters of the kings were clothed in earlier times. So his servant put her out, and bolted the door after her. But Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar remained a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he became very angry, 
but he would not punish his son Amnon because he loved him, for he was his firstborn. But Absalom spoke to Amnon neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had raped his sister Tamar. This is the word of the Lord. So what happens next is that two years later, Absalom has a party, and he has all of his brothers come, and at a set point during the feast, he has Amnon killed. And then Absalom has to flee, and eventually he rebels against David, and the family falls apart, and it's a big, big mess. I don't think David thought that when he looked down on Bathsheba, that he was setting up his family for generations of ruin. But that's exactly what he was doing. One of the reasons he couldn't discipline Amnon is because Amnon did the thing that he did. How is he going to discipline his son for doing a thing that he essentially showed him how to do? David is a horrible parent. And the repercussions go on. Lust is never satisfied, and lust always leads to death. Lust is never satisfied. Amnon finally gets Tamar, but when he gets her, it's not enough. In fact, he doesn't even want her anymore. He loathes her. The text said, with a loathing stronger than the lust that he had before. Lust never satisfies. And this is what the pornography empire is built on. It's built on the fact that lust is never satisfied. It always wants more. People start out with basic pornography, but that doesn't interest them after a while. They need something a little more scandalous, a little more provocative, a little more shocking. And it goes on and on and on from there. Very few people ever say, oh, you know, I'm good. I've had enough porn. I don't really need to look at it anymore. I'm satisfied. That's why pornography is a $97 billion global industry. Pornography sites get more hits than Amazon, Twitter, and Netflix combined. That's a lot. Because lust is never satisfied. And the people who are making money off pornography love this fact, and they study our brains to figure what exactly will lure us in and keep us clicking. Tinder is an app that was designed for lust. I know now it's kind of used for dating, kind of ish, but it was started as an app for lust to figure out who exactly in my immediate location is willing to have sex and maybe even with me. Not go on a date with me, not have dinner with me, not go for a long walk with me, but just have sex with me right now. That was the app's design. That was its intention. It was a design for lust. And now maybe we're thinking, well, I'm good because I don't access porn and I do not have Tinder. But lust has lots of sneaky ways of getting into our lives. Maybe you read romance novels excessively. Maybe you read Fifty Shades of Grey and the one that comes after that, and then you reread them again. Maybe you still have 
a Snapchat that was sent to you a few years ago by someone you were dating at the time, and you've just saved it. Maybe you sit in a certain place in a certain class so that you can look at a certain someone. Maybe it's old school. Maybe it's calendars and posters and catalogs. Lust can sneak into our lives everywhere, and none of us are exempt from it. We've seen what lust can do. Lust kills. Lust always leads to death. Some of you have been really close to marriages that have died because one of the partners had an affair with somebody else. Some of you have seen romantic relationships fall apart because one of the partners was not willing to give up porn. Some of us are so ashamed of our porn addictions that we've never mentioned it to anyone, and yet we feel so trapped we can hardly breathe. And then some of us have been the victims of sexual abuse or sexual assault, and it feels like part of us died. Lust leads to death. And when you hear stories of friends who've been sexually assaulted or you hear stories of friends who are addicted and can't, can't shake it off, do you have like an Absalom-like response? I mean, do you want to go Absalom on some people? I know I do. In my office, I hear stories all the time of people who've been victims of sexual assault or people who have the demon of lust just consuming them and they can't, can't quite shake it and they don't know what to do. And I think there's somebody's butt here that I want to kick. That was the PG-13 version. Because that's how I feel. It's like, this is hurting the people that I love and I want to step in and say no more. I want to step in and say, shut it down. I understand Absalom's impulse here. I get it. I don't condone what he does because it doesn't help. And there's really not much that I can do either. But we do wish for a big brother, don't we? Some of you wish for a big brother who would say to you, oh, he hurt you? Oh, I'll take care of that. We wish for a big brother to say, you're struggling? Man, I got your back. You'll be okay. We wish for a big brother to step in and say, let me show you how to do this. Let me show you how to get out of this. Let me show you how to change your life. Let me show you how to live differently. We long for a big brother to step in and say, I've got it. And thanks be to God, that's exactly what happened. Jesus is the big brother. And he's the one who steps in and says, that person hurt you? I'm a big fan of justice. You're hurting? I'm a big fan of healing. You're addicted? I'm a big fan of sobriety. I can help you with this. I can move you from death to life. 
But remember how lust always leads to death? In this case, the death was Jesus. Our lust led to his death. All of the things that we have done and all of the things that have been done to us were taken to the cross. And that's where lust lost. Sin, death, hell conquered. That's where lust lost. Our big brother said, I've got this. And he took all of that, all of the stuff we've done, all of the Snapchatting, all the going too far, all the lustful thoughts, all the times we let our eyes linger too long and our minds wander, all of it. He took it with him to the cross. And he says to us, I've got this. You don't have to carry this sin anymore. This sin does not define you. Last week, we talked about the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is feeling responsible for sins that we have committed. Shame is identifying with the sins as if we are that. I am an addict. I am someone who was sexually active. This is who I am. This is my identity. Guilt says, I did those things. Shame says, this is who I am. Jesus says, guilt and shame are taken to the cross. You are not the things that you have done in your past. You are not, and neither is anyone else. All of that is taken to the cross, and Jesus invites us to live differently. He invites us to live as people who understand the difference between lust and sex. Sex was designed by God. He loves it. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Big fan of sex. As my grandma once said when someone was complaining about, you know, all the... the, sex that they were reading about in a Bible-themed uh, non-fiction fiction book. Like, oh, there's all the sex in the book. And my grandma said, well, look at the Bible. There's him. He begat and he begat and he begat and he begat. He's like, a lot of sex in the Bible. <laughs> One of the many reasons why I love my grandmother. God is a big fan of sex, and this is what he designed it for. He designed it so that a husband and wife could come together in mutual giving and receiving so that the desires could have a place to be expressed that would deepen their attachment. Sex has a unitive function and a procreative function. It's supposed to make you one, and it's supposed to make more people. That's what it's supposed to do. Lust is not interested in mutuality. Lust is not interested in relationship. Lust is all about me. And what I want, and when I want it, swipe. And Jesus says, I am in relationship with you. And I have shown you what it looks like to lay down your life for someone 
else. That's mutuality. That's what love looks like. It's not about you getting sexual pleasure for yourself, usually at the expense of someone else. It's about shaping our lives in a way that we can live differently. I talked last week about Professor DeYoung's book, Glittering Vices. And she points out that uh, lust is the vice, chastity is the virtue. But chastity, not in the sense like we all live in little bubbles and we don't touch anybody ever. But chastity is a way of living. She puts it like this. Daniel, if you put the quote up. Chastity's fundamental question is not, how far should I go on a date without crossing some invisible line of sin? But how can my life, my thoughts, my choices, my emotional responses, my conversation, my behavior, make me a person who is best prepared to give and receive love in relationship with others? So what can we do to cultivate lives that make us prepare to give and receive love in relationship to others. That sounds like something that we would want to do. That sounds like something that would be life-giving. That sounds like something that would be life-affirming. To figure out how to set up choices, responses, conversation, behavior, so that I become a person who's really good at giving and receiving love. So what does... What does that look like? What is Jesus inviting us to when he's inviting us to move from death to life? What does it actually look like to live a chaste life? Well, here are four things to think about. These are the four no's of chastity. First, know that you are not alone. You are not alone. And I mean that in a lot of ways. If you're someone who's addicted to porn or using porn, maybe you're not addicted, but you really want to stop, you're not alone. We have groups for that. We have conversations about that. If you're somebody who's been sexually violated, you're not alone. We have support groups for that. We talk about that. If you're dating somebody and you're confused about sexual boundaries and what to do and what, you're not alone. Lots of people are in that boat. You're not alone. And you're in a community of people where an expression of giving and receiving love is to be able to say, I'm struggling with this. Are you struggling with this? Can you help me with this? See, lust thrives in being isolated and tearing us away from the herd. And chastity moves us toward each other and says, I can trust you. I know that I am not alone with whatever it is I'm carrying. And if you're interested in cultivating a community of chastity, you're not alone. We do a health survey every three years at Calvin. It's a health survey that's done at most colleges and universities across the country. And we ask all kinds of questions about health, mental health, physical health, sexual health. And consistently, our data shows that 80% of Calvin College students are not having sex. 80%. We can't get 80% of Calvin College students to agree on anything. But this is one thing that you are in a community of people who are trying to live chaste lives. 
trying to live lives that set them up well for relationships with God and other people. Not just future relationships with marriage, chastity, that's one expression of what we live for, but we live chaste lives so we can have good relationships with all the people. And if you know that 80% of Calvin College students are not having sex, does that empower you to say, oh, we are in the vast majority here? I hope it does. And if you happen to be in the 20%, just hang on, because I'll get to that in a minute. So the first thing is to know that you're not alone. The second thing is to know when you are tempted. Everybody's tempted by different things at different times. I've talked to a number of people who say that it's right before they go to bed that they're most tempted to access porn. And so we talk about different bedtime behaviors, like plug your phone in somewhere else and buy a little alarm clock. In fact, if you want to make one move toward overall health, studies show that that is an amazing thing to do. Plug your phone in somewhere else, use an alarm clock. That's free, no extra charge. There are people who say, I know I need to sit in the front row of class because I get way too distracted by other people. Several years ago, we had a group of students who committed to really looking at students, other students from the shoulders up. They knew that if they let their eyes go down, it led them into difficulty. And so they named their little group Heads Up for Holiness. <laughs> and when they would see each other, they'd do this. <laughs> but I thought that was great. It was just a reminder. You're not in this alone. Know when you're tempted. Pay attention to that. For some of us, it's certain times or places or people. You know. Just pay attention and find an accountability buddy. Find a heads-up-for-holiness person. Find somebody who also is going to plug their phone in far away from their bed. Know that you're not alone. Know your temptations. Know other people. Like, no other people. So, there's this episode of The Office where Michael is smitten with Holly. She's a new employee. And Michael, being Michael, wants to, like, go all in. And Jim's like, whoa, 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 slow that train down. Jim says to him, what have you learned about her? And so he said, gives Michael these little homework assignments where he has to go out and learn something about Holly. And that's, that's what you're supposed to do. Like, learn about each other. What are the likes? What are the dislikes? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite sport? You don't like sports. What's your favorite music? Who's your best professor that you've ever had? What was a moment when you knew that Jesus was alive and it mattered? Those little cards, little green cards, you have my permission to just sit down with strangers and just start asking them random questions. Because that's chastity. Chastity is saying, I'm getting to know people for more than just who I see them to be, for more than just my own personal gain. I'm getting to know them. To know and be known is the beautiful gift of chastity. To be able to say, I'm getting really good at learning how to love people. I'm really getting, getting really good at loving and being loved. 
So know that you're not alone. Know when you're tempted. Know other people. And know your God. Know your God. Your God is a God of forgiveness. Your God is a God of fresh starts. If you feel like there's something in your past or there's something in your present that you think, this is a thing I just don't know what to do with, God knows. And he stands ready to forgive. He stands ready to say, let's try again. Let's have a fresh start. We can do this. You and me, we're in this. Jesus is like, I'm your big brother. I got this. I'm stepping in. I'm going to help you. You are not alone. You are forgiven. Whatever you did in high school, whatever you did, freshman frenzy, whatever you've done, Jesus says, just confess it. Get it out of your system and put it on the cross because that's where lust loses. And know that your God is a God of justice. If you have been sexually violated, know that God is working toward justice. You may not see it in this lifetime. You may not always feel like you can trust it. But this is who he is. He is a God of justice. Know your God a God of grace, a God who is rich in mercy, a God who says to everybody, come, just, just come. Lay your burdens down and then don't pick them up again. So know you're not alone. Know your temptations. Know other people. Know your God. That's how we set ourselves up for life instead of death. That's how we move away from lust and toward chastity and love. That's how we shape a community where the next time we take the survey, maybe it's 82% or maybe it's 83% because the way of living in chaste lives is so winsome to people. They say, I want to do that. I want to be more like that. Jesus invites us tonight. He says, look, I moved from death to life so that you can move from death to life. So whatever shame or guilt you're carrying, Jesus invites you tonight to lay it down and receive forgiveness. So what we're going to do tonight is I'm going to pray and we're going to have a song and some scripture. And during this second song, you're invited to come up and just come forward to one of these bowls that have water in and just wash your hands in the water and think about the truth that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness you're cleansed from all unrighteousness. I'm sorry we just have little bowls and you can't like jump in a pool or a pond. We did that already. <laughs> but it's a symbol to say, Lord, I come and I've got crap in my past and I'm sorry about that, but I really, 
I want forgiveness, and I want a fresh start, and I want to be cleansed. And if you need to just stay here for a second, that's okay. And if you want, you can use one of these towels to dry dry your hands. But just when you're ready, you can just come on up, and um, it'll be a little chaotic, and that's okay. We're, We're fine with that. Because what matters is being able to say, I trust Jesus. I trust him with my sin. I trust him with my secrets. I trust him with my shame. And I know that he is the one who can move me from death to life. He's the one who can give me a fresh start. He's the only one who steps in for us. Will you pray with me? God, we are so grateful for the gift of sexuality. And we're so very aware of how that gets manipulated and abused and destroyed. And sometimes it's by us. And so we apologize. And we pray for healing for ourselves and for everyone we know. For everyone who carries something that has been done to them for everyone who carries something that they have done. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you speak to us now in this time of prayer and singing and worship and remind us that our big brother has stepped in so that we can be set free. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.